With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I love that Buck Swope. Buck Swope's an interesting cat. This is as creepy a guy as you'll ever encounter. That's right, Buck Swope. Buck Swope, who you, Doug really is not comfortable yeah. with Buck Swope. Kind of a shutter spook. Swope's one of the best in the business, for my money. Buck Swope? Buck Swope asked Doug his preference on shrubs. Ah. <laughs> I, may, I may sue Buck Swope. Buck Swope is struck. I'm pretty high on Swope. If we need an old audio clip, Swope's going to have it. Why? Oh, no, I just know he does. The wonderful Buck Swope. You know Buck Swope? Well, yeah. Seem to have kind of an issue with Buck Swope. Right. It always goes back to Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Mr. Buck T. Swope. What's up, kids? You are listening to Swope's Picks, Episode 4. Featuring previously unreleased audio of me nerding out with Deke Dotem, Janie the Lesbian, and Tim McKernan. In all three cases, I just had too much content to squeeze into the 10-minute slot at the end of each episode, so I've re-edited them, and this time it's more laid back and less focused. Well, get on with it, muff. Get on with it, muff. Well, get on with it, muff. And we're pleased now to be joined by Mr. Deke Dotem. Hi, what's up, Deke? Pleasure. It's a pleasure, you know. Uh, this uh, this radio show obviously has a lot of excitement behind it, and to be, uh, you know, the first guest on it, it's a real honor. Well, it's funny because for the longest time, people are asking kind of for a, a Wikipedia page or, for lack of a better term, a Cliff Notes on Free Dotum, the suspension, and all that. And if you go back to when the suspension came about, it's not as clear cut as you know he sent. Deke sent an email that was so over the line that he got suspended indefinitely. It was really a slow build over a long period of time. And uh, I guess, tell me, how how did this all come about? What pro- what prompted you originally to adopt the name Deke Dotem and to cut the audio yourself and send it in with your emails as a drop and, order, and basically tell them to play it? I mean, I don't think that happens very often. I don't think it's happened any other time that I can think of. Uh, tell me, what was your thought process at the time? Well, I remember clearly, I was living in California at the time, and I was listening to the show. I think I was podcasting in traffic, naturally, uh, you know, where you are most of the time in California. And I was listening when that, uh, the, the day after the Blues lost to the Kings. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously Mike Lee's calls always, you know, uh, bring me to attention. And, uh, you know, when he said to go to him, it, it really wasn't anything special. But I think the way that uh, Tim and the cat kind of... Uh, they played it up. They played it up. And, and it made me laugh. You know, the way they brought it back, especially when the cat called it back maybe a minute later, uh, it made me laugh. And, uh, you know, I've been a previous emailer, uh, pretty hack material. Uh, as if Do you want to reveal any of your previous names? Uh, I, well, I think I only had one, and it was Bottoms and High Point. It was when I was living in the High Point neighborhood of St. Louis, and I gotcha. kind of just carried that in. Uh, the emails are pretty terrible when I go through my email uh, archives. Gotcha. Uh, as producer Joe would say, comedy is hard, and uh, you know some of those emails I look uh, were even more cringeworthy than the ones I had sent. Well, well don't be too hard on yourself. You know, a lot of a lot of great musicians, you know, kind of start out in really awful, awful bands, and then they kind of progress, they, they figure it out, and then they meet other people, and that they get inspired, and they raise their game, and uh, I think there's nothing to be ashamed of in, in having meager beginnings with, with crappy comedy is hard emails. So you decide to reinvent yourself as Deke Dotem. I don't know, it's just a kind of a name that stuck with me, and, uh, you know, uh, obviously I was looking for something to kind of uh, take my email the day game to the next level and i think it was just kind of the perfect storm i found a name and uh it was kind of an obscure name clearly and uh you know an intriguing name one that sticks in memory and i think uh the name itself is is memorable uh independently as far as the reasoning behind it or the motivation is i i really don't know i mean i had i had all the tools to clip off clip off audio and uh it kind of just made sense you know um 
I'd be lying if I said I did it to sort of uh, brand my emails on a new level. I just thought it was funny because, you know, well, I think Mike Lee is generally hilarious and, uh, and the context outside of that whole conversation just makes me laugh. Well, you don't have to explain it to me. I mean, I'm the guy who just starts cutting audio just because it makes sense to me, and now it's gotten to the point where I'm brokering time at midnight on the weekend to yeah, play these clips. You've, you've made it. You've made it. I've made it. I mean, we're, we're doing it. We're going to do it. It's kind of like when Chappelle started out on the air. It's like, I guess they haven't taken us off the air yet. I'm going to do this, and we're going to see how it goes. Maybe after the mashup later on, uh, they might decide that that's, that's, about, that's about enough. But we'll, we'll see what happens. So you send in the first, or I guess, they start playing the audio after your emails. And you're, you first, there's a couple emails that I included in this where you're, you're instructing them to play the drop. And there's a moment where Stedman... In a moment of Stedman brilliance, he hear or he doesn't have the drop, but he plays a Mike Lee drop where it's like that's cool. Instead, one of the best, and that one was drop. yeah, and that was just a perfect Stedman moment of I don't have what you're asking for, but here's something that's even better. Um, but then they started playing it, and yeah, and that kind of gave yeah. it legs. It definitely gave it legs. I mean. Uh... Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure just emails were printed off. There was never any sort of looking at the attachments. And uh, I kind of had to start including that in email because, of course, I wanted them to play it after. And if I didn't call attention to it, of course, you know, uh, not to knock against Producer Joe, I just don't know if it would ever either have been recognized or he would have downloaded it and put it into uh, Stedman's collection of drops. Yeah, I mean, I, lo I love Producer Joe, but he did not have the greatest relationship with the subculture you know he kind of loathed the subculture now a lot of that i think has to do with i mean the the, the business model behind inside stl initially i mean it was like it was kind of a scumbag operation in terms of these girls next door parties i look back at them and i wish i had gone you know i mean i got these emails yeah. all the time inviting me to these these just absolutely scummy events and now i look back like man i really feel like i missed the boat on those like especially the uh the fights, you know, you feel like yeah. those were those were big moments in the in the history of the subculture. But at the time, I mean, at the time, it's like I'm not going to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, you look at the foundation and the early years of most big companies, and I think, you know, when you look at some of the successes these days, I think you see girl next door contests, right, uh, right. you know, in the early days. But I mean, the I think that's how Facebook. Is, I mean, I'm pretty sure that is how Facebook started, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you got to sacrifice some people's grandparents in the early days. But I think if you look at where they are today, it, it you know, it clearly made sense. And, uh, you know, you can't knock the results, that's for sure. You know, you got to take one for the team. So, but back back to Prod Joe, I mean, I think oh, he, yeah. he was, he, he was a great producer. He just didn't necessarily buy into, he just loathed the listeners, uh, you know, yeah, and, and part I, of, and part of that was because they would wind him up and he would just not be able to see he would just not be able to hit the curveball he could hit the fastball but then they'd throw that curveball and he would swing at it and it's like dude i mean it's great entertainment but i kind of think the show became really bad for his mental health at a certain point yeah absolutely and, and i think uh and you know those are the earlier years i started to listen i think producer joe uh was wildly entertaining and i think uh because of that is you know his uh, reactions to some of the uh uh, you know, emails, calls, especially Justin Columbia, right. those two, uh, you know, I think uh, even though he didn't take it well, the reaction uh, produced some good radio. Right, right. I love I love producer Joe. We will be uh, featuring him week in, week out on, on Swope's Picks. Sitting down and, and cutting audio, nonsensical audio that you might send to two people that they can listen to, or you might might post it on the fan pin, but probably not. You're just clipping it off and just sending it to other people. Because you know if you send them like a six a hour-long clip, they might not jump to the 45-minute mark where the funny part is. You know, you got to cut it up. And that's why with this kind of hour-long format, I'm trying to... You could tune in at any point in this 60 minutes and you're going to hear something that's going to make you want to hear more and then you're oh, going to want to and then you're going to want to go to insidestl.com and, and podcast the episode from the top. So that's kind of that's kind of the uh the idea behind it. And I just and you my, know. my my question is 
Did you choose that time because it's the cheapest and to be able to play that audio? You I had I, I I didn't know what the cheapest was. I didn't actually see what the alternative if I could have gotten a better time slot. I I always wanted early morning and if I was you know if they would let me have midnight I was going to take midnight. If I had to settle for two a.m. I would have been fine with that. He didn't give me any real ground rules, but I'm I'm willing to bend if 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 he wants to put them down. Like I just want to have a good time. I just want to. There's yeah, no, there's, I, there's no, I, nobody really owns this. This is just an organic thing that's happened. And yeah. uh, I just want to kind of advance the subculture in the most subversive way possible. Once the subculture advances to a point where, oh, now all the cool people that were in it originally are out and now it's a bunch of noobs, it just loses it. And, and so these subcultures tend to have shelf lives. But with, and I think, oh, go ahead. I think the morning after that kind of happens. I mean, the, the last like two years has been an influx of fans. I don't know why. But I think, you know, there's some characters on the show that I think, uh, you know, tend to probably turn people off. Yeah, but I, but I think with The Morning After, it's like McKernan, he navigates that no, wittery circus in a way that it's always a positive feedback loop. Even the most poorly taken call, I mean, there's, there's like the chapses of the world, but I mean, even like a Rich in Maryland Heights. Yeah, I turn it who off. Who I find every... to be fascinating, who I find to be hilarious. I turn it off every time, but you go back and listen to it, and it's like if you just take it as the abstract, it's 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 brilliant. Um, but when you take it as like, oh, this is a guy giving like a real take, and it's driving yeah. me crazy how stupid he is, it it might yeah. just turn you off. But when you just look at it from the abstract, it's hilarious. You're listening to Swope's Picks on Five Ninety The Fan, One Hundred Five Seven HD Two FM and InsideSTL.com. We're pleased now to be joined by Janie the Lesbian. What's up, JTL? What's up, Slope? I think it turned out really... I think the first one turned out really well. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, water cooler talk about it come Monday morning. I hope so. I sent it to CMAR today. Sent it to CMAR and B-Marks have it. Like, it's going to drop on InsideSTL at midnight, right when it goes on the air is when the podcast is going to drop, so... I have to listen. Like, I have to. It's going to be good. I could just send it to you now, and you can listen to it now. I mean, but... Well, I, that's no fun. Right, right, right. Oh. Then it just seems... Right, right. <laughs> I was almost concerned that that I if I sent it too early, they'd listen to it, and then they'd listen to the mashup at the end and make me change it, you know, and be like, oh, you can't, so you can't do this. I definitely went into this with a Dave Chappelle, Comedy Central, like, they might take me off the air, but... I'm going to produce this show like I think it should be done, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, I played within – I think I played within the rules. I didn't violate any FCC uh, violations, which that's the whole – the kind of the whole point of the – I mean, it took me, like, four or five times listening to it before I arrived at this, and also having Dotum, like, spell it out. You're, you're reading over the air. Like, the FCC rules apply, but – how vile can you make an email without violating FCC regulations? And how many different ways can you describe Doug's ass? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> fart box. You know, you just it just goes through. It's it's just a challenge to keep coming up with new ways, new new adjectives and new words to, and that's where you. I mean, I I think they hold it pretty well. I I think he he's a talented writer, and this was just, he was just jerking around. It was just like a someone doing this at night, like podcasting like the Dickens and sending his emails in at night, the night before, or, you know, composing them the night before. And uh, I think uh, it was, I was able to really capture where he was coming from, both with his emails and with talking to him afterwards. And I think, I think that'll be probably what people will hopefully take away is like, oh, I, like, Swope can actually like, conduct an interview. I think more so than running point or doing like a solo podcast, I think I can conduct an interview, which uh, that'll, yeah. that'll remain to be seen in the next few minutes. So we're talking, obviously, about the Caden Cross FFF, and you, I think you let me know, or you let McKernan, you let us collectively know, I think it was last August, around, like right before the Jubilee, when they, they replayed it, like they replayed the segment, um around that time right. and I think I pulled up the audio even before they replayed it and I think I just sent it to you or we I referenced it and you Yeah, I think we were actually looking for the video. We were looking for the video, right. And that's a whole, well, I guess we can address what happened with the video 
is it was recorded on some live stream or some third-party streaming software like a Periscope, but not. And uh, their archives are just corrupt. Like, you can go, you find the video, the link still works, but the actual Flash-based video does not play. I actually, as pathetic as this sounds, I contacted the, I filled out, you know, just like a contact form for that provider and said, hey, I know this is a total long shot, but what are the chances if there was like a historically significant video from 2011 that used to work and doesn't work anymore, what are the chances you can like repair that video? And they're like, oh, you know, if it's before we switched our protocols and blah, 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 then yeah, it's gone. Like there's, Unless you guys have a copy of it. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it's lost forever unless, uh, unless... What's funny is, I think there's some audio, it sounds like Jennings took video, like personal video, not that Jennings maintained his archives. It would be interesting if like Prod Joe or, or Non-Gay or anyone had uh, like source video from that day. But yeah, I, I'm thinking not. Given the people that we're talking about, I'm thinking not. And what was it about this show? Was it the prizes? Was it the chance to meet Caden? Was it just you felt sorry for McKernan that he couldn't get anyone to come in? Um, kind of a combination of all three things. Uh, there was a really good prize package on the line. Um, there was Caden Cross in studio talking about making out with whoever would come in. And then there was also no one else doing it. So I, uh, I was seriously considered doing it. Had actually text in and was about ready to get up and leave work. And my boss called a meeting that I absolutely could not miss. So uh, that's well. I mean, you could have you could have quit your job. I mean, <laughs> I could have quit my job, and then I wouldn't live in Minnesota, and I wouldn't be um, on the same path. So well, obviously, I mean, obviously you wouldn't be on the same path if you came into the studio to meet Caden Cross. So that would be one reason why I wouldn't be on the same path. <laughs> <laughs> If it was ever on the table again, where you had Caden in studio, obviously you would be all over that. Oh, I missed a huge, huge opportunity. Like I, it's not like I beat myself up every day about it, but definitely um, I could have gone. I could have skipped that meeting and gone, but um, and made it work. In hindsight, uh, I think that it was probably something that I should have done. I should have just left work. There was definitely a few other factors, including my coworkers that also listened to the show, who was sitting behind me giggling the and there, whole time listening to And there would have been audio show. evidence. I mean, it's difficult to, if you're going to duck out of work, you know, I don't think you could say, hey, I can't make this meeting. I've got to go in for a foot fetish Friday in the line of work you have. At some works, probably you could do it. I mean, <laughs> Caden, Caden herself was like, put the boss on and I'll talk to him. Was your boss a man at the time or was it a female? My boss was a man at the time and he would have not known what to do with Caden uh, Cross on the other end of the, of the line. <laughs> like he would have had no clue what to say to her um, and would have had zero sympathy for my cause. So that definitely wasn't the move i don't think i was really i don't think i was really worried about like my boss hearing it but like at the time i wasn't an out lesbian and i was concerned about my coworkers hearing it because i would have been making out with Caden, and my coworkers would have heard about it and they both knew my boyfriend at the time and um, were you living were you living with your boyfriend at the time or were you just seeing each other? I, yeah no, we were we were living together. We had been living together for a few years by that by that point in time. So you you were living, about. and this is someone that you subsequently were engaged to. Yeah, correct. Okay. So we got it. So your long-term monogamous boyfriend, well, monogamous with men. Obviously, you've alluded that you've been with some. You were with some women uh, in Florida, but you were essentially with this guy for nine years, and more or less assumed that you were, you know, not a lesbian. Oh, yeah. I guess he, was I mean, what where right. was he where was he at that point? I mean, did he did, is was this at a point where he kind of knew you had lesbian tendencies and if this would have happened, he would have potentially been really upset about more so than if he had never known you to be have any sort of lesbian tendencies and he might have found it kind of funny, but it was was it it was already a sore spot at that point. 
it was definitely a sore spot at that point. We had moved back from Florida. Uh, we lived there together, and we had moved back from Florida about three years before this. And one reason we moved back was because of my involvement with my my friend, um, my lady friend, down in Florida. So it was definitely a sore spot. He knew that I enjoyed the company of women a little more than his company and he really wanted me to have nothing to do with it so um, it was not it was not welcome in my home at the time so that's definitely a factor where you know as, oh, as much fun as much fun as it would have been and as you might have been able to duck out of work there might have been ramifications oh, yeah. i mean think about There's what what would have happened if if there would have been like a huge, would could it have potentially burned you out on the show if you had like a highly negative, if you if you basically broke up with somebody because you came in for a radio promotion, would that have you think you would that have like burnt you on the show? Would you have at least ceased communicating on the show, knowing that like oh now there's like heat on me or? I don't know, but I think I definitely had told uh, my ex about the show before this episode, and so I would never know. Like, and he had told me he had listened a couple times. So I would that would also be a concern. Like, oh, did he happen to tune in that day, or like, was there a radio? Well, are you concerned that he? Yeah. Are you concerned, you know, five years later that he's listening now and is aware that you're on the show and texts in as some some uh, alias? No, I'm not, because he's definitely not a cool. So I'm definitely not concerned that he's listening to the morning after. And uh, if he is, I don't think that he would have the self control to not uh, make that known to not tip his hand immediately. Yeah, to gotcha. not tip his hand. Gotcha, gotcha. Caden Cross is legitimately one of the, I think, coolest, sharpest people to ever sit in on the show. I absolutely agree with that. I, I mean, enjoy when she's on. And she was talking... And not just because she's super hot. Like, she pawned the non-gay twice. Once over his porn, his stag film idea, and also over the definition of fetish and it's great when he's like he just accuses her of reading off wikipedia and she's like i was a psych major and and he's just like oh and then he just kind of he just kind of stands down <laughs> and mckernan kind of busts his balls like oh way to way to hang in there non-gay like <laughs> yeah she definitely knows what she's talking about and it, it shows like she's a she's a sharp and she was 25, I think she was 20, roughly mid the same age as Nangay. They were both like 25, 26 at the time. And, and he's, a, I mean, he's a smart guy. He graduated from law school. You know, he's, of the people that have been associated with the morning after, probably one of the smarter, more with it, well-read people. But he just got absolutely, absolutely pawned by, uh, by a porn actress twice. You know, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty spectacular, I thought. It almost got to the point where you felt bad for Caden, because this is such a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that... Someone, some lass in the St. Louis region proper needs to come in and uh, and get on this. Um, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and somehow I didn't take advantage of it. Like I honestly do not know why. I, like there's so many reasons why I didn't. Um, but now thinking about it, I should have just put all caution to the wind and gone and done it. Don't beat yourself up too much. I mean, but then you wonder, you wonder where, where would that have led? I mean, it, would you have become a part of it the show? It would have led to lesbianism a lot faster. Let, you would have, things would have gone, I mean, I think it's fair to, I mean, would you say it would have accelerated the end of your relationship with your boyfriend at the time? Um, I would, I would venture to guess that would be very Like by likely. the end of the weekend? Like by the end of the weekend, you, you know, one of, one of you guys would be moving out? <laughs> yeah, Yep, checking into the then. checking into would would you be checking into like the Wayside Motel? Or? Yeah, I would give him some cash and tell him to run up to the Wayside because I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> find him across the street at the Sunset Lanes. So uh, and then and then Martin comes in at the end because apparently you know Frank Cusimano didn't want to do the handoff, um, and so they have a nice Martin cameo to come in and talk about Fanny Friday and. Again, I think there's an Iggy, there's like, you know, the Iggy line about, you guys talk, you know, that's the only time I laugh all day is listening to the morning after. It's the only show that makes me laugh because every, well, everyone else just talks about the sports. And 
I just thought that like that line, especially coming from Martin repeating a line from Iggy, it just kind of perfectly sums up the morning after and why it's a show everybody listens to. It's because it it you don't know what direction it's going to go. It's not necessarily going to stay on this. Oh, we have to <laughs> we have to talk about the the sports teams and we got these we got all these guests booked to talk sports. I mean, yeah, when there's when there's sports new legitimate sports news to talk about, we can talk we can cover it. You know, when the Rams left or I love, you know, when Derek Gould comes on and, and breaks it down, but uh, or Kelly Chase, you know, breaking down the blues. Those are those are some of the best interviews. But just when McKernan can steer a show in a weird direction, and then it like it it starts to take shape in that end of the seven o'clock hour, and then over the course of the show, kind of keeps going in that direction, and then by the nine o'clock hour, you know, you've got you know, a lesbian foot massage, and you've got moms leaving the kids in the car, and <laughs> it's just kind of that, for, especially, like, I want this, this Wolf's Picks show to be for people that have never heard the show before, like, I want them to be able to tune in and just get it, and just, like, if you can, if you can get through one of my episodes and you enjoy it, you would enjoy listening to The Morning After, like, I think it's, if you don't, if you get through five minutes of it and it's like, this is you know, childish and stupid, then, you know, you probably aren't going to enjoy the morning after and don't waste your time. I don't know. Returns are still early, so we don't really know what's going to happen yet, but uh, I think so I'm far. I'm interested to see. I love that Buck Swope. Buck Swope's an interesting cat. This is creepy a guy as you'll ever encounter. That's right, Buck Swope. Buck Swope, who you, Doug really is not comfortable with Buck Swope. Kind of a shutter spook. Swope's one of the best in the business, for my money. Buck Swope? Buck Swope asks Doug his preference on shrubs. Ah! <laughs> I may sue Buck Swope. Buck Swope is drunk. I'm pretty high on Swope. If we need an old audio clip, Swope's gonna have it. Why? Oh no, I just know he does. Boys, I said we need a lot of Swope's picks, Doug. I mean, this, this guy's already done what a bunch of guys have been bouncing around the market for like decades have never been able to do. A show that people want to listen to and generating revenue on it and a good attitude. to be joined by Tim McKernan. Tim, what's up? What's up, Buck Swope? I'm a huge fan, and it's an honor to be on your program. Well, I, I appreciate that. You've, you've said a lot. You've promoted it a lot, hyped it up on the morning show. I can't uh, thank you enough for that. So we're talking 2011 Cardinals. For me, I became a daily listener during this era. During, between the Rasmus trade and Game 6, I became a daily listener, and I never looked back. I was a, you know, uh, Christmas and Easter Catholic, so to speak, in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2009, but uh, I didn't become a full-time listener. I mean, there weren't that many playoff runs. 2009 kind of came and went. There really weren't any, in other than maybe like Mizzou, there really, really weren't any like postseason runs to attach to morning radio between 2006 and 2011. No, no one else is going to go into the detail that you guys go into when it comes to and you're being, you were being somewhat critical, not over, not like platitudes. We're just going to hate on Larusa, critical like some people do. But in terms of really just objectively looking, why didn't they leave Chris Carpenter in there for the ninth? That was kind, you know, that wasn't a difficult decision. I think forty thousand people there knew that was the right call. But I just wanted to really, it's like, how do I explain this to my kids? How do I explain the 2011 Cardinals to my kids? And you have to start with, well, first of all. So much crap went down, and they never should have been there. I think it was, well, I, I remember, actually. I remember I was walking back. I think it might have been the last, maybe second-last Rams game uh, I ever went to. It was the opener against the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Cardinals were playing down the street at the same time, and we weren't even thinking about it. And to think that 45 days later, approximately, they would be lifting their 11th World Championship trophy is really rather phenomenal. It is comparable to the 2006 team in that, you know, I had a conversation with Jim Edmonds a month before they won the world championship in 2006, and I said, what's going on? Because I'm making an appearance on ESPN, and I know they're going to ask me, and I want to be able to say I talked to Jim Edmonds about it. 
And he said, you want to know the truth? The truth is we're not very good. We're a divided clubhouse, this whole thing. And I'm like, well, these guys are done. And then a month later, he, there's that picture of him on the field lifting up the world championship trophy at Bush Stadium. So the way things can flip so quickly, of course, as a fan, is a great thing to experience, assuming you're on the right side of it. I'm, I would imagine Texas Rangers and Philadelphia Phillies fans don't necessarily hold 2011 in the, uh, the, the esteem we do here in St. Louis. But it, it also has kind of provided, in a sense, a disservice because when you're dealing with a team like the 2016 Cardinals and you go, yeah, they're not really that good, and, but we saw what happened in 2006 and 2011, and so you never know. And I'm always one that's more than happy to make a poker analogy that will resonate with 0.1% of your audience but it's, it's, it's somewhat equivalent from a poker standpoint to shoving with, you know, like King Jack and going up against pocket aces and winning back-to-back times. But that doesn't mean it was the right play, and it doesn't mean it's even remotely likely to happen. There's a percentage it could happen, but it's unlikely. And because it was that bizarre 83-win team in 06 that, that made the run, and because the 11 team made its run, I think there is an unreasonable expectation that that is much more commonplace than it actually is. And so it makes it awkward to have discussions about even the 2016 Cardinals because you don't want to be in the spot where people say, well, you said they were dead. And you said, because you never say, you can't say that until the final out is made on the season, but you can analyze in the moment. And certainly I stand by this five years after the fact, uh, Jaime Garcia being left out there too long against the Phillies and then mind blowingly. So fortunately, however, when I do listen to that, and again, I realize that my baseball memory is super nerdy. And again, another thing that, you know, 0.1% of your audience will will remember. Jeff to drop in that Jeff Tabaka. Was I mean, yeah, no, that, 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 but what I'm talking about with 2011 in, in the NLCS specifically, although the Tobacco Road is magical in 2001, but 2000 NL, 2011 postseason specifically, what happened, I believe that was game one of the Brewers where he left Jaime out there and he got rocked and that was the end of it. Um, and then they did wind up winning, what, four of the next five to win that series in six, but that ended it. That was the end of Larusa dicking around with the rotation. And if I'm not mistaken, minus Carp, minus Carpenter, nobody else the rest of the way even pitched into the sixth inning, and maybe not even the fifth inning. He was pulling starters left and right. I guess maybe a couple of World Series games in St. Louis, since they were so low scoring, I would imagine the starters. But Carpenter had to be one. Carpenter was the starter for one of them. After the debacle against the Phillies in Game Three, and after the debacle against the Brewers in Game One, both with Garcia. He was done and leaving those guys in, and so he would yank them super quickly, and it was like, okay, it's over, which is all the, the, the feelings are out of it. This is business, which is the way you have to do it, even though it could be unpopular with learned, players, certainly, it may, it might and unpopular have taken, with fans. It might have taken 23 blown saves, and, you know, and it might have taken two playoff meltdowns by Garcia in the same postseason, but he figured it out, and he was given another, right. and the he same thing happened. Guy. He was given another ball in the pinball machine. You know, He was given another chance, and he took advantage. And the, and the same thing happened in 06, where in 05, where he was starting Matt Morris in important games, and Matt Morris was a shell of himself, and hitting Larry Walker either clean up or fifth. He was a shell of himself, but in 06, that was in 05. And then in 06, he did the thing that, as it turns out later, when I was praising it, when I was hosting the show with Jim Edmonds uh, about how he benched Roland and how necessary that was, he goes, well, you can praise that move, but just so you know, it almost led to a clubhouse revolt when he did it. Because uh, these are the things that we never know, which is why I'm super hesitant to pontificate on things, even leaving Garcia in there. There may have been a reason for it. But what I've, what we've seen since then, now that we saw how, how you have to do that stuff, even though it has to be difficult for a manager who especially specializes in discussing his faith in players, and I'm not talking about religious, but just how the belief in his players, and now we have that with Matheny, and how we've seen the scholarships I joke about in October, and who knows if they get to October this year, if there'll be another scholarship, and also leaving guys out there too long um, 
Shelby Miller against the Giants would be an example of that, uh, and or putting Michael Waka in in a situation after getting pitched for a month in the ninth inning of Game 5 of the NLCS and do 14 where you just go, ah, these are things that LaRusa, who I think learned, I think, maybe he would say no, it was just the right move, I don't know, but I think he learned from those things in 11 and 06 uh, that that we we now... It, it pains Cardinal fans to see these things. That you go, oh God! Now it's, you're playing with a 23-man roster because you got a couple scholarships out there, and you don't want to hurt Wainwright's feelings. You want to give him a chance to win, so he gets to stay out there, whatever. And it just makes you cringe because I think Cardinal fans have seen so much postseason baseball that they know sometimes the difficult decision with a star who's been a part of your success, whether it be it's that season or previous seasons, has to be made for the betterment of the team in the chaos that is October. But there was so much BS, the Rasmus trade, uh, and uh, those blown games in September, yanking Carpenter. Uh, there was that game where Calvin May asked about the uh, of the fire in the that. dugout, which did happen to coincide with like their worst effing loss. Uh, yeah, it was an afternoon you know, game. I mean, was it like yeah, seven to, six to one or seven to two? Or it was Ettringhausen pitched for the Mets in that game. That is actually. bizarre. That is bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so I'm do you think? Do you think Cal May uh, took like the four, took down the four hundred dollar pot with that question, or do you think that was no, Cal, Cal no, May being Cal no. May? That was Cal May being Cal May because I, I think what the cat had wanted to put him up to was um, much more severe. That that. That question was more for the sliver of St. Louis that's morning after listeners. Right. Um, like if, if Calvin were to actually do that, I think it would it would be it is my understanding more much more uh, blunt than uh, than the nuance. Did you notice the brush fire down at the other right. end of the dugout? <laughs> I didn't see that at all. But man, I appreciated that. The the Rasmus trade. I mean that is a trade that I think when they won the World Series, it really kind of established Mosaic as, I mean, after making that trade and after winning the World Series, it just seemed like he had arrived. Whereas up until that point, he hadn't, they hadn't won anything. He'd been there for a few years, and they had had this kind of window, the kind of second half of Pujols' prime, and the window was closing, and you felt like, this is all we got for Rasmus. I mean, that was where we were in in July and and August of 2011. Was this is all we could get? This was a guy that we could have traded for a top tier pitcher, you know, a few years ago, and this is a guy that we're trading him while his value is low, be, over emotion, like you alluded to, emotional BS and just not being able to work with the manager anymore. And it was just you felt like everything was slipping away, and then they win the World Series, and now all of a sudden. Mosaic is, you know, the badass GM who essentially, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't go for, he usually plays it very smart. He doesn't give up on guys too quickly. He waits until he's decided that they aren't going to use this player anymore. And then he gets as much as he can for him. But it's like, you get burned if you try and sell high on a player because it might turn out that you might give up a great player. So I, I think a lot of the the GMs that have the best reputations a lot of times are the ones that end up with, you know, like the Billy Beans, where you end up with these low-risk, high-reward deals that pay off. But I feel like Mosaic is good at let's let's run our organization in a way where we're going to retain the players we want to retain, we're going to acquire the players that we want, we think would be a good fit here, and we're not necessarily going to try and, like, play it like the stock market where we're just trying to buy players and then try and drive up their value and then unload them and constantly be trying. Cause I think that brings instability. And I think the success of the organization is they reward the players that do well and do it right. And, you know, you might not maximize the players might not maximize their earnings potential, but they get stability and the Cardinals might not maximize their return because they might hold, they might lock into a player like a Colton Wong or they might, end up, you know, paying a guy more than they should. But they don't you you don't end up with like the the really bad contracts. Yeah, well that's been the reason why they've had this great run since 2000. And I and I and I go all the way back to 2000. I include 03, 07. Yeah, I, I I even then they were competitive in the wild card with all yeah, the injuries Anc- they had Anc- Mania, There was that like four weeks of Ankiel Mania there in 2000. Right. And and, and wild card wise they were in the mix and, and 09 was a great team that I always say on the air over and over again that uh just they just 
yeah, I was just I was just posting about it on the fan page a couple hours ago, as a matter of fact, about how that team was twenty seven games over five hundred on September eleventh going into that game, yeah. and then they went seven and seventeen the rest of the way. I agree with uh, you. I really think that team. It was more of like mid June to mid or to early September or late June to early September, where they were just the best team in baseball. But no, well, because was, you had Carpenter and Wainwright both top three Cy Young. And ho- after the holiday trade, I mean, the holiday goals. trade really completely right. changed the lineup, and then. Right. It was they, a different they, world. And then they kind of dicked around at the end of the season, and then Holiday dropped the ball. And I mean, Right. So, but my, my, my point in bringing back all these years is, you're right, because they have not done one of these just terrible deals. And by the way, part of that is the good fortune of the fact that um, Albert Pujols turned it down, and Mike Hampton, um, Mike Jason, Hampton, Jason Hayward turned it down. Yeah, Mike Hampton would be another one when you're going back, but that's, that's a good example. He liked Colorado Denver public schools better than, than St. Louis's, so that was his reasoning. Fun fact for the uh, younger. I think he knew they were going to legalize marijuana sooner, so he, that was. That you, think that, you think that's what that, Well, maybe, that, maybe, that, maybe that should be another Swokes picks uh, <laughs> oh, on, on the Mike Hampton decision. It. Yeah, I'd like to see you fill an hour on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I am big on what the organization has done there. And that's why when it comes to 2016, from my standpoint, not being high on the team going into the season, you know, with whatever happens the rest of the way, the fact that they were even in the mix, and if they somehow, I mean, it would be just hilarious, and I'd love it. It would be just insanely hilarious if this team, which no matter what they do the rest of the way, I don't think anybody, I mean, they'll be revisionist history if they somehow want to win the World Series, but it's just like the 06 team. And you can ask Jim Edmonds, a guy who was on the team, that, you know, it wasn't a very good team. Um, so he goes, it might have been the worst team he was on while he was here. He said that numerous times. Uh, 07, he was a part of that team. But the 03 team, he goes, the 03 team was better. But yet the 06 team wins the World Series. And then, you know, on a kind of low-level discussion plane, the old man has to be the best team. But that's not necessarily the way it works out. It was the team that got hottest and healthy at the right time, but in 2016, this team is not a good team, but yeah, because of the power they have and maybe perhaps the ballparks they would play in on their way to get there, specifically Wrigley, it could work to their advantage and they could somehow slip through, even though they've been kind of muddling around, you know, eight-ish games above 500 the rest of the way. I feel like the 11 team was different than the 06 team because the 06 team was really good before they all got hurt, like right around late May, early June, and then they all happened to get healthy at the right time. And I don't know if they're necessarily held in the, high, in the same esteem because they were on the heels of 04 and 05, which were both 100-win teams, and I would say legitimate 100-win teams. Uh, and that's in reference to last year's 100-win team, which I just I, that to me was smoke and mirrors and was – Right, you know, like that the was, house that of cards, was, that little, little waiting. But that was also a fantastic. I mean, you have to give Santini credit. Six starting rotation, managing no, no to, to get hundred wins, to get hundred wins out of that roster, out of that. So what? Well, again, just went back to record-setting pitching. Just like right. a few years before that, it was record-setting runners in scoring position, and you recognize it kind of for what it is, which again is an outlier. But of course, that doesn't mean outlier doesn't mean okay, you disregard it. It's right. always possible. I mean, you know, it, it's it's all possible, but. When you're analyzing a team's strength, if you put the 04 team against the 06 team, I think most people would say, yeah, the 04 team is going to win a best of seven series against that team eight out of ten times. I think, just like the Cardinals, healthy Chris Carpenter. Yes, indeed, absolutely, because because that pitching stand it depends on when you would put those two teams together. Because the 04 team that was in October was a lot different than the 04 team uh, in August when Carpenter was pitching. That was kind of a butt ass rotation that they had to toss out there against the, the Red Sox. Um, the the eleven team, you know, just kind of sputtered, and then they just got absolutely red hot. And you know, and Atlanta, I mean, that, I, I view the eleven Phillies as one of the best teams that that I've that I've seen. But when you think about the fact that they beat that rotation, uh, and be, had to be Halliday, you know, had to face them twice anyway. Beat Cliff Lee, and also uh, Cole Hamels and, and Roy Oswalt. I mean, my God. That is an insane rotation. Granted, Oswalt was just about done, but Hamels was just in his, you know, getting getting going. Uh, and and of course, Halliday and saw what he did in Game One, and Cliff Lee in Game Two. I mean, my God, that is that's insane. And that's that's a team that had been World Series, you know, 
two of the last uh, three seasons going into that one. So that that's another one where if that 11 Cardinals team plays the Phillies 10 times, again, these are totally hypothetical, like video game scenarios I'm talking about, but uh, it would, they would, they would, you know, I think they would lose get, eight or 10 series or nine or 10 series, but they happen to catch the one where they wouldn't. I don't know if Skip Schumacher is going to get that only RBI oh, yeah. decisive game, right. and 10 pitch at bat nine times out of 10, probably not. Right, right. So, I mean, from that standpoint, you think of the Rasmus trade, you think of how they were scuffling, and even after surging to have a couple of the losses that they had in September that were devastating, then just to get in, and to think that that right there was kind of enough, for lack of a better term, because it was such a thrill to experience that run in September, and to think that as a Cardinal fan, we had no idea what we were in for over the next four weeks when you think that that's, that Philly series, there was a rivalry with the Brewers. The wonderfully delightful Niger Morgan had been taunting the Cardinals. Carpenter wanted his ass so bad and got it. Uh, after he sent out the tweet, Cardinals will be at home watching. And, of course, they ship him home. And, uh, and then, not to mention, one of the best World Series uh, that you'll ever see. And we'd already had the thrill of the, the surge over the final three weeks of September. I mean, that's, that's incredible. It's, it's, like, it's like going to a concert where they just play – they're new crap, and nobody's really into it. And all of a sudden, whatever band it is, whatever artist it is, all of a sudden just hits you with a barrage of this insane crescendo, and it just goes on for right. another you two know, hours. And you look back and you go, "God, that was that was the greatest concert I've ever been to." But you forget about like the first hour and a half that just absolutely sucked, and everybody was standing around. And that was the 2011 Cardinal baseball season. So before I let you go, let's just talk about PhoneGate because I feel like if Game Six doesn't happen, this would be a much bigger story and would have gone would be remembered along the lines of the the Vince Coleman and the tarp and other famous you know championship game gaps or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I mean even I mean Cat was like I don't believe it. Uh, you know for yeah I, you know when I was listening when I was listening to that I was surprised he said that because I know. And since he said it, I will now say this publicly. I know we've talked about it, and I know he said, "Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't what what, what happened." Um, I don't know exactly what it was. I just know that he says that's not what happened. Uh, and he said it that morning on the show, which was right. very surprising to me to hear that. I didn't know, and I, honestly, for whatever reason, it's almost yeah, I, I, it's almost erased from my memory. I remember it. And I and I was able to hear, courtesy of your audio, what I said the next morning, and I, you know, like analyzed the deposition, so to speak, of Tony Larusa's post game comments, and they were just they were so contradictory and all over the map, it, it screamed bluff. But well, he felt clearly he was either either he had a a major lapse himself or he was covering for somebody else. I mean, it's what some there was clearly some sort of breakdown and he was yeah he was falling on it and just coming up with this farcical you know explanation i mean it almost it's almost like they mosaic went in and said okay here's what you're gonna say like <laughs> no i mean i i don't i don't i don't know i don't know i i don't i don't i i truth i truthfully don't know exactly what happened but yeah and then and now again with the benefit of hindsight knowing that that was going to be you know potentially the second to last game he ever managed and it would have that kind of gas. Um, you know, it does. I don't know. You know, I don't know if, if the Cardinals would have lost that game. I mean, so many things, the late Joe Strauss said Cardinals don't have that comeback in 2011. The, the direction the organization would have taken uh, was totally different. It was so signature, not only from the fact that it led of course to a world championship, but it also altered the perspective of the fan base in baseball on so many different people, their legacies, starting with Tony La Russa. If they lose that series, and that is what is talked about over and over again, and then he steps down, imagine that. I mean, we've seen athletes go out, and you go, oh, my God, what a, what a terrible way to go out. Well, manager going out with that being perceived anyway as the reason why they lost the World Series that would be devastating. John Mazalak, who you made reference to earlier and how he kind of became the Don with with that trade. 
uh, even though I don't necessarily view it in, in the esteem that I suppose some others do. Uh, he, he wouldn't have had that kind of leverage in the organization had they not won the World Series. Um, had they not even gotten to the postseason, of course, uh, that would have been, he would have been, I think he would have been on the clock, as weird it is to say now, because now right. it seems like he's an untouchable, but I think he would have been on the clock. So what it did from that standpoint, would the Cardinals have been more aggressive in trying to keep Albert Pujols if they would, uh, wouldn't have won the World Series? I don't know. I don't would know. They hired, uh, would they have hired a first-time manager who had never managed above? Yeah, very good point. And absolutely. Would Mazalak have been in the position? Now, part of me, by the way, since Mike Matheny was doing a show uh, for Inside STL and KFNS uh, in 2011, um, which is hard to believe, Sassy Cassie, uh, but Sassy Cassie uh, commercial being the most signature moment of the show, uh, that I do recall uh, he was wrapping up the show at the end of the year, and I asked him to uh, come on the morning of Game 5 between Carpenter and Halliday, specifically because, A, he had been working for us, but, B, because he had caught both of them. And he's like, yeah, you know, I guess I just kind of want to fade in the background now, and I think, uh, you know, it's probably better. It would be great since I did catch both of them. I know both of them, but I think I'll just kind of fade in the background. And... Now, again, this is all kind of 30 for 30-ish that we have the benefit of looking back and can kind of air our suspicions that we couldn't necessarily say at the time. And also, we didn't know what was going on at the time. Of course, I didn't know Larissa was retiring uh, on the morning of Game 5 against the Phillies. I wonder if he knew that at the very least he was in the mix for that job or if he knew he already had the job. I don't know. Of course, the Cardinals had to play out the interviewing a variety of different people, so who knows, and nobody would ever say it because they had to do that, and so you wouldn't want to go back and say, yeah, we interviewed Terry Francona, but we already knew we were hiring Matheny. But, um, you know, LaRusa did know, and he was going to step down or announce his retirement in August, and, uh, and that didn't wind up happening. So at that point, you know the organization. If they know he's going to announce his retirement, and they're the ones putting the press conference together, they know that they are now on a search for a manager. And so I wonder if they already knew and if the senior already knew that he was going to be the manager. So along those lines of what you said, it's a very fair point with Mazalak. If they hadn't gotten to the playoffs, had the leverage, if they hadn't won the world series, would they have made that move? What was the breaking point? Or was Matheny going to be the manager no matter what? I don't know. I really, but, but as far as legacies go, you know, David freeze is forever a God. Uh, Chris Carpenter already was viewed in, in, in a Gibson-esque light, I think, going into that series. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, he only won, he only had to pitch one game in the, in the 06 World Series. Right. So he really had his signature Gibson-esque postseason moments because he started three of those games and he was um, outstanding, uh, especially on short rest twice in that month. Uh, which I was very critical of when he, they did it going into the, the game two against the Phillies. I totally against it because I've seen it be such a bust so many damn times. God, I feel like a team wins maybe, God, 15, 20% of the time they do that. But it, but had they not done it against the Phillies, Carpenter, he said himself, he said, I learned I, how I had to adjust when I'm on short rest. And so the fact that he did pitch on short rest against the Phillies helped him in pitching on short rest against the Rangers in game seven. You know, all of these things that now are truths for Cardinal fans were determined solely by what transpired in, uh, in, in September and October of 2011. And people will live forever because of those 60 days. They wouldn't have had the, you know, LaRusso goes out, John Elway, Peyton Manning style, John Mazelak is, you know, Don Corleone. David Freeze can get standing ovations every time he comes back here and live here and you know sign autographs the rest of his life. Chris Carpenter's Bob Gibson, you know the random Colby Rasmus return on the trade looks like it was nice. was genius. Even though I think that's you know still think that's overstating it, but nonetheless, uh, and 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 you have moments in baseball history, not just in St. Louis, but in baseball history that will that will live forever. And, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's a season, Buck Swope, that uh, Anna Marie and I, we had our bachelor-slash-bachelorette party at a rooftop in Wrigley Field in late August 
of 2011, and we had absolutely zero interest in the game because we thought the Cardinals were essentially playing exhibition games. And two months later, after we're all on the rooftop at Wrigley Field with our friends, they're, you know, they're world champions. And it just shows how quickly it, it can flip. So um, in that capacity, uh, I suppose it's a positive for those of us living in 2016 with the Cardinals uh, and also a negative because anytime you want to say, well, you know, they're not a very good team and they're probably not going to be able to do it, somebody immediately goes, well, what about 06? Or what about 2011? And it's like saying, yeah, well, I won the pot with my seven-deuce offsuit against your aces, so who's got the chips? Well, you do, but that doesn't mean it was the right play. (laughs) So you just have to kind of sit there and go, all right, fine. But, you know, I wouldn't trade those those Octobers, in in 2011's case, Septembers, uh, for anything because uh, it provided as, as much of a thrill for a baseball fan as you could ever possibly ask for. You're listening to Swope's Picks on 590 The Fan, 105.7 HD2 FM, and com. Swope here, reminding you that all episodes of Swope's Picks are available for download at InsideSTL.com. You can also find Swope's Picks on iTunes in the comedy section under S for Swope. Oh, I think you need all that base. If you are a business owner or operations manager who simply has too much on their plate, HQF can help highest quality fidelity we solve problems that you don't have the time or patience to deal with i got my own set of problems when it comes to solving complex problems it or otherwise every business has their own internal competency i didn't want to wait i just wanted to do it myself some people need more help than others and i'll be darned if that air conditioner didn't fly right out the window eventually everyone needs a lifeline for more information email swope at hqfstl.com Promote your business or idea with a custom mashup on Swope's Picks. Yeah, brother. And it doesn't even have to be a business at all. I don't know. We don't really look at stuff. It's not actually a business. Celebrate your special occasion with a Swope-produced custom mashup. Or perhaps you want to produce a diss track for your rival on the fan pin. Are you serious? If you've got a few hundred bucks and a concept that I can execute, we'll make it happen. We can do 30-second or 60-second mashups. Maybe that should be another Swope's Picks. Or... If you want to dictate the topic of a particular episode, we can do that too. Yeah, I'd like to see you fill an hour on that. These things can take a few weeks to produce, though, so don't wait until the last minute. Oh, I have to do the research. Email buckswope at gmail.com to get the ball rolling on your custom mashup. Oh, get on with it, muff. Get on with it, muff. Oh, get on with it, muff. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone who has supported Swope's Picks. Enjoy the mashup. Holla at your boy. Holla at your boy. I'm a 125-pound twinkish body type. Holla at your boy. I'm very anal. Anal. Anyone need a ride to the bull park? My stepdad and I used to paint each other's chest. I'd like to see this fella get his feet wet a little bit. He was barely legal, too, fellas. <laughs> I'm, like, disappointed at myself, like, after I used tranny porn. I'm a whore. I told you. Oh, by the way, is it twink? Teenage white into no kink. If you ever need white, you probably want to go to Clayton or Ladue. I would have well, been. That's where you Trip ass. Trip ass. You ever tripped ass, boy? And that was the Eiffel Tower. I was the ass. Oh, oh, oh. Is it romantic to bring another lad into the bedroom? You're playing a game, little boy. Little tee boy game with your other boyfriend. Uh, how about this? You go you go to Walgreens and you get a condom. There, done. No, you can come. You can play shuffleboard. You're going to have three guys lined up here <laughs> in dresses. Trannies. Good morning, gentlemen. You can just be whomever you want to be. I am gay. Is that all right with you? Lick the fat upper penile area. Oh, he's grabbing his breast. Ah. The nipple, nipple flick. Well, leave his nipples alone. Nipple flick. Walks around trying to entice me. I had my left testicle hanging out. I felt kind of like a creep taking a picture of a guy coming out of the bathroom, but I... And I'm saying, at what age do you stop kissing your son in the mouth? <laughs> Why? I don't mind. Why? You got his ass play. Oh, damn it. Talked about ass play. <laughs> take off the top. You want me to take the shirt off and just put my mouth underneath it? About nine and a half inches. There and just drink it right out of the... Mark McGuire's penis. Yep. Right, it was the guy next door. Just somebody in bed naked. 
How are your shrubs, bro? Just a little bit of a stubble. That's it. Not much. Not much at all. I shave only my left nut sack. Holla at your boy. Your parents sit you down and, and tell you about the shrubs? It doesn't just grow that way. Shrub, Shrub sculptures. sculptures. See how yeah. tough it was? Mm-hmm. I think we might have seen, I seen the, a hint of I it in those pictures. I bet the like a rat's nest. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh. Let's wait now. I keep it fresh at least. <laughs> At least? It's not, it's not a rat's nest. Uh, but if I have four-inch nipple hair, you, nice humble brag. you can tell what, you know, is going on in the shrub. <laughs> Big bush? Let's play this handout. If you were just to walk around handing out a naked picture of Tony Dan's or any right. gentleman. Where do you go? You just go on the street corners and say, hey, buddy. Holla at your boy. You could give me a holler. And as I, I'm just kind of holding it out, walking down the street, and one lady looks at me and says, pervert. Uh, in your dream MMF, who is the, uh, is the guy straight or bi? That's a tuppy. I was just wondering what Pat Robertson's stance was on MMF situations. I like that Doug Vaughn. He wears a little dude. All right, he goes both ways. Holla at your boy. Pat will soon make love to me. He's probably had some balls hung up in the, you know, the sheets or something. Maybe it gets him going seeing you with another man. Which which guy? <laughs> There's got to be two of them, right? Buck Swope and Deke Dotem want to run a train on you. Ah. Oh. Well, you got your finger and everything. Oh. oh. <laughs> that felt good. I'm bad. <laughs> We went all around the circle there, didn't we? (laughs) It wasn't bad at all. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.